Well, if you're new, I wanna welcome you to church. My name is uh, Joey McLaughlin and you picked a great day to be in church because today we do kick off a new collection of talks titled Ghost Stories. Let me just say Ghost Stories. And in honor of Halloween, what we're gonna be doing over the next two weeks is talking about the creepy, the spooky, the scary stuff from the Bible that we usually avoid. Next week, I'm actually gonna talk about ghosts and angels and demons and exorcisms and haunted houses and like how to cast a demon out of your mother-in-law. And so if there was ever a Sunday to be in church, it's next Sunday. Bring your friends and family, okay? Um, I really do think that Halloween is like, a terrific time to bring your friends to church because you can trick them, you know? You can be like, hey, trick or treat. So you can trick them by being like, hey, there's this rager at this hotel. We should go check it out at 10 a.m. They got all the bread and wine you could ever want. And so just come and then they show up and it's Elevate City. Wouldn't that be a great trick or treat? So bring them next Sunday on Halloween. Um, the truth is, is you can just tell them that your pastor usually says some crazy stuff on a Sunday. There ain't no telling what he's gonna say on Halloween. Halloween. So um, we're going to have some special festivities for kids. So make sure to bring your friends and family next week. Now, if you're um, of the class of Christian or the class of people that's like offended that we're doing church on Halloween, you're like, listen here, brother, that's the devil's day. Okay. If that's you, I would love to hear your complaints. Just send them to lgiglio at passioncity.org. Okay. I would love to hear them. All right. Today, I want to talk to you about the afterlife. Today, I wanna to talk to you about what happens after this life. Today, I wanna to talk to you about heaven and hell. Now, why would we talk about the afterlife? Why would we talk about this? Well, because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the statistics on death are pretty alarming. I don't know if you know this, but one out of one people die. Mortality has a 100% rate. It's gonna get you, okay? Um, you are not going to live forever. You can stuff your body full of all of the antioxidants, kale and quinoa that you want, you're still gonna die, okay? Um, I was looking on the Googles and um, I noticed, that's right, the Googles, that this interesting statistic that every second, three people die around the planet. Every second, three people die. That statistic is actually what influenced the hit and sync song, Bye, Bye, Bye. You get it? Every second, bye, bye, bye. There goes another one, bye, bye, bye. <laughs> people are dying left and right, y'all. By the end of this sermon today, 11,000 people will die. And if we don't hurry it up, one of them will be a nursery worker, right? Like there are people who are dying all of the time and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And so talking about what happens after this life is really significant, but I think that there is an immediate consequence, an immediate effect that is even more important and it's this. It's that what you believe about the afterlife affects how you live this life. What you believe to be true about the afterlife will determine how you live this life. If you think that this is all that there is, if you think that there is nothing after death, if we just cease to exist, then you will spend your life getting all the pleasure and the stuff and the money and the experiences that you can because this is all that there is. 
But if you believe that there is life after death, and not just life after death, but life eternal after death, then it dramatically and drastically shifts your perspective and changes your priorities. What you believe about the afterlife will affect how you live this life. And so I want for us to have a perspective that is far greater than this is all that there is. But to know that there is actually much more that happens after we breathe our last breath here on earth. You know, there are a lot of thoughts about what happens after life. There are a lot of thoughts about what happens to us when we die. There's the naturalist view. The naturalist view or the scientific view that says that we are not soul and body. We are merely body alone. And after we die, we just become worm food. That this life is all that there is. And so you live, you die, and then you're gone. That's the naturalist view. There's the reincarnationalist view. The idea that what you do in this life will determine what you come back in the next life that we are on this record of just doing life over and over and over again. There's this reincarnationalist view that kind of works like a video game, that how well you do in the video game, how far you get determines what level you come back at. So if you're good in life, then you're gonna come back and have a better life. But if you're bad in life, then you're gonna come back and have a worse life. There's the reincarnationalist view. Then there is the universalist view the universalist view that states that everyone's going to go to heaven, that hell, if there is one, is going to be relatively unpopulated, very scarcely populated. It's just gonna be reserved for people like Hitler or who dress up as clowns, right? Like hell, the only people in hell are gonna be like Nazis and grammar Nazis, okay? That's it, those are the only people who are gonna be in hell. There is the universalist view and then there's the biblical view. And the biblical view is Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. It says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. When you and I die, we are going to be judged. And we are not going to be judged by a court of our peers. We are not going to be judged by the Supreme Court of this land. We are not going to be judged by our friends or our parents or by those who have died before us. We are not going to be judged by society's understanding of right and wrong. We are not going to be judged by the cultural interpretation of good and bad. We are going to be judged by the one true king the one king who sits on the throne, the one king who is holy, who is worthy, and who can judge accordingly. And when we are judged, we are going to be judged based off this criteria. Did you know Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus, and serve Jesus as Lord? Or did you not? And those of us who know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus as Lord will spend eternity in a place called heaven. But those who do not know Jesus and who do not love Jesus and who do not serve Jesus as Lord will spend forever in a place called heaven. Hell. And so what I want to do today is I want to spend our time talking about those two places, the reality of those two places and what those places are going to be like. Aren't you glad you picked to come to church today? I know that hearing this can be a bit heavy on the front end, but I promise you that the heaviness of heaven and the heaviness of hell will create in you 
a heart of worship to worship God and to thank him not only of what he saved you from, but what he saved you for what he's prepared for those who love him. And I believe today, because what you believe about the afterlife will affect how you live this life, it will also create an urgency within you today that I think is necessary in the church. So let's start today by talking about hell. Now, based upon what we see of Jesus in the Bible, Jesus is like one of the most loving people who's ever existed on the planet. Like a lot of people have an image of Jesus where he's like a hippie, right? He's wearing Birkenstocks, he's got a perm, and he's wearing a bathrobe, right? He seems loving and accepting and like someone you would want to bro out with. And Jesus is, even by people who don't believe in Christianity, one of the most loving people who's ever been. People would say that. However, Jesus, who is said to be one of the most loving people ever, talks a great deal about hell because he doesn't want you and I to go there. Did you know that 13% of all Jesus's teachings revolve around hell or judgment? 50% of all of his parables are in reference to judgment or eternal consequences. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about hell, he did it like this, Luke chapter 16, verse 19. He tells a story. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, purple at the time would have been so rare. It would have been a dye that was so expensive that when they heard this, they wouldn't have just thought like kind of a rich man. They would have thought like the Kardashians, okay? Like this dude is crazy rich, fine linen. It's said that in that day that to have linen clothes would be worth a, a year of salary. So this guy is insanely wealthy. And it says that this guy feasted sumptuously. Ooh, sumptuously. I just love that word. Every day, verse 20, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. This is the story about life and death and the afterlife of two men. There's a rich man and a poor man and the poor man dies and an angel carries him to Abraham's side. Now, because of a lot of different scriptures throughout the Bible, we know that Abraham is in heaven with God. And so we assume we know that this poor man is in heaven with God. And then there is the rich man and the rich man finds himself in a place called Hades, which Hades is like a holding place of torment until you get to the ultimate place of torment, which is hell. We know from Revelation chapter 20 that eventually Hades as well as death will be thrown into a fiery pit, which is hell for all of eternity. And so Hades is essentially a purgatory of hell of sorts. At times, Hades and hell are used interchangeably in the Bible, but this is what we know is it is a place of torment. 
this rich man is in such agony that what he asks Abraham to do is to send Lazarus, the poor man, down. The poor man who used to stand outside of his gate, his big Kardashian-level mansion. He would be there every day, this poor man, and he would be scrapping for scraps from the dogs, and he would have these sores, and he would get this rich man's dogs to lick his sores. Like, this man is gross. This poor man is gross. And the rich man says, I want for you to send the poor man who used to have a dog lick his sores, and I want for you to have him dip his finger in some water so that it can come and cool my tongue from this flame. This is the agonizing picture that Jesus tells of what hell is going to be like. The Bible throughout the pages of scripture makes it clear that hell is a place of conscious, physical, literal torment. The Bible describes it this way. It's going to be heavy. It describes it as a fiery lake of burning sulfur, as a pit of darkness, as eternal punishment, as everlasting destruction. Describes it as a blazing furnace, a place where the fire never goes out. In hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and all of hell's residents will be shut out from the presence of God. It's not a place that you want to go, and it's a place that you can't get out of. One author wrote, it's the land of no more good, no more laughter, no more beauty, no more friendship, no more hope, and no more second chances says that there is a chasm that is fixed between heaven and hell where the people in heaven can't go down and rescue those people in hell and pull them up to heaven. And the people in hell can't understand the mistakes that they've made and repent and turn and find some second chance after life to get back to heaven. They can't do it. You know, I think one important note is that this rich man in the, in the story is very conscious. He's very aware of his pain. He, he knows his torment. He feels it. He's aware of it. He's conscious about it. But do you know what he doesn't mention? He doesn't mention believing that it is unjust or unfair. He is consciously aware of his pain. He is also consciously aware of the fact that he deserves this pain. You know, I think that one of the real terrors of Hell is that for the first time, you and I will understand that we actually deserve the consequences for our sin. You know, on this side, we always think it's not fair. God, why me? God, why would you do it to me? I don't deserve this. It was just a mistake. But there's something about the severity and the gruesomeness and the treachery of hell where we see that we deserve it, where we understand what our sin has done. We see that we have greatly offended a holy God. This man is very aware of it and there is nothing he can do to get out of it. The rich man's response to hell is in Luke chapter 16, verse 27. And it says this, it says, he answered them, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. The rich man begged Lazarus to go back and to tell his family and to tell his friends and to tell everybody about Jesus so that they didn't have to go there. This is the reason that we are so passionate and that we talk all the time about you bringing your friends, about inviting your friends. It's not because we're trying to make this place crowded. It's because we're trying to make heaven crowded. It's not because we want... 
It's not because we wanna pack a building. It's because we know what's gonna happen, man, if people don't hear the gospel. It's the reason that we train you to make disciples. It's the reason that we're passionate about you knowing the gospel and, how, and, and knowing how to share it. It's the reason that we want to be walking billboards for Jesus. It's the reason that the mission of this church is to elevate the name of Jesus and to make him famous because we know what happens to people who do not know him. You know, there is a, there was a book that was written called, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. It's kind of funny. Mark Twain, he said, um, go to heaven for the climate, go to hell for the company. And the idea there, right, is that, man, all the fun people are gonna be in hell. All the party people, all the people who know how to turn up, they're gonna be in hell. So hell's gonna be a good time. And at least if I gotta go, it's gonna be a party. Well, according to this story, there's not gonna be beer in hell because there's not even gonna be a drop of water in hell. Hell is the kind of place that you would not wish on your worst enemies. Hell is not fun. Hell is not a game. And hell is not a joke. Now, a lot of you might say, well, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that God would send people to hell. How could God, how could God do what? Do something that you wouldn't do? Do something that I wouldn't do? How could God do that? Is it possible that the creator of all that is has an ethic of justice that is more robust and that is more developed than you and I with our three pound sinful fallen brains? Is it possible to, that God understands what is right and that God understands what is good and that God understands what is just and that you and I just don't? You know, it's interesting. A lot of people want to eliminate hell. They want to erase hell. They want to act like hell doesn't exist. But those same people who think that hell would be unjust or unfair, that punishment in the afterlife is unjust or unfair, believe in justice in this life. You know, all of us, when we see that an atrocity has happened, when we see that a criminal has committed a crime, we believe that that criminal should be punished. We believe that justice should be rendered when somebody has done something terrible. Think about somebody doing something terrible to your family, taking somebody that you love, doing something beyond your wildest imagination. Would you think that the, the course of action would just be, hey, do better next time, I love you anyway. Or do you think that justice should be rendered? Everybody thinks that justice should be rendered. And if we think that justice should be rendered in this life, then we must believe that justice should be rendered in the next life. You see, we, we serve a holy and a righteous God who deals rightly with sin and justice. God's holiness demands payment. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid it for us. Now, you may be wondering, well, why would God set it up like this? Why would God make hell just to send people there? I've got news for you today. He didn't. He didn't. Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, this scripture should blow your mind, says this. It says, hell was made for the devil and his angels. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. You know that prisons were made for criminals, not for good people? Prison were made for criminals. The reason that prisons were made is so that the people, the bad people who hurt good people could be isolated and the good people could be protected. Hell wasn't made for people. Hell was made for those who hurt people. It was made for the devil and his angels. The only problem becomes when you and I join his gang, we wind up in the same place too. You see what, 
What the enemy came to do is the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so that you could have life and life abundantly. And what the enemy would love to do, the greatest lie he would love to tell is that hell doesn't exist because misery loves company. And he knows that if he can get you to believe that it's not real, and if he can cause you to live a life where you're only focused on this life, then he's going to see you in the end. He's going to have you join him. I think that the greatest lie that Satan has ever told is that he is not real. That this world is all that there is. I'm here to tell you today, friend, that there is much more than this. Hell is real. It is not an ambiguous topic that is supported by a few hard to understand passages of scripture. It is inescapable. Virtually every book in the New Testament underscores the reality of hell. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. Peter taught it. The early church taught it. And we must teach it today. I fear today that far too many preachers avoid the wrath of God that is expressed in hell. And that's why people don't celebrate the wrath-absorbing cross of Jesus that happened on Calvary. The reason that we don't have the joy of the gospel exploding in our hearts is because we don't really realize what we're saved from and what we've been saved to. And it's only when we understand what we have been rescued and delivered from that we can celebrate what Jesus accomplished for us 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Hell is real, but there is a place and there is a promise called heaven that you and I don't have to go there. John 14, 6 says it like this. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. There is no Hinduism. There is no Buddhism. There is no good enoughism to get you to heaven. There is only Jesus. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says it like this. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which men must be saved. It is Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the reason that we're here today to put Jesus over everything because he rescues you from everything. He is your only hope. And I want for you to know that the horrors of hell pair in comparison to the glory of heaven. I know that that's heavy and I know that that's a lot to chew on and that's a lot to wrap your mind on, around. And so let's talk about the happy stuff now, okay? Because heaven is real. Heaven is so real and it is so big and it is so beautiful and it is so brilliant. Now, a lot of times when preachers start to talk about heaven, dudes just tend to check out. Dudes are just like, no, nah, I don't really want to go there because it just seems like I'm going to sit on a white fluffy cloud with a bathrobe and like get a, like, like a halo and play a stringed instrument. No thanks. And I want for you to know that what that is, is that that is a Hallmark movie from hell, not heaven, okay? <laughs> that is not at all what heaven is going to be like. You know, when I was in um, Sunday school, which by the way, is the worst named event in the history of Christianity, Right? Sunday school. Kids hate school. So let's put school on Sunday. That's a terrible name for an event. They should have called it party time, right? Then people would have gone. You want to come to party time? Yes and amen, right? But I remember my Sunday school teacher who, he was a good guy, but he really didn't know what he was talking about. And um, I asked him, I was like, what's heaven going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? And he proceeded to tell me, he's like, when you get to heaven, you're going to get wings. And I was like, okay. And he was like, you're going to be like, come an angel. I was like, okay. 
he was like, and you're gonna be like really young. And I was like, I'm eight, how young are we talking, right? And he was like, you're gonna be like a baby, like a fat baby. I was like, uh, I don't know if I like this. And he was like, so I was like, so what are we gonna do? He was like, well, you know, we're just, we're gonna worship God. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're gonna sing. Well, for how long? Forever. <laughs> and so then immediately I start to think about the song Amazing Grace, you know Amazing Grace? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And all of a sudden, I don't wanna die. <laughs> so you're telling me we're just gonna be there looking like angels on a cloud, like a naked baby singing? for billions of years. All of a sudden, I'm really scared of heaven and hell is looking pretty enticing. And I really think that somewhere along the way that that thought, that that idea started to affect the way that I lived, that if heaven wasn't a place that I wanted to go to, then maybe Jesus wasn't a person that was worth living for. That if heaven wasn't, much to look forward to, then maybe Jesus didn't have much to offer me here and now. And I think that what has a tendency of happening, what, what begins to invade the way that we live is that we don't have an understanding of the afterlife that is worth it, that causes us to sacrifice and to live with obedience here and today. And what I want to do, what I want to begin to do is to expand your perspective. I want to begin to stretch your imagination for what God has prepared for you, for what God has planned for you, for what Jesus left to go and build on your behalf. And I want for it to create in you this anticipation and this expectation and this excitement and this overwhelming giddiness for what Jesus has prepared for those who love him. You know, it changed my life when I discovered this verse. Ephesians chapter two, verse uh, five says this. It says, by grace, you have been saved. And that's the reality that the gospel is not good works, that you can't get to heaven, that you don't have salvation, that you're not rescued from hell because you're a good person. You're not rescued from hell today because you're at church. You're not rescued from hell today because you read your Bible. You're not rescued from hell today because you know some scriptures. You're rescued from hell because of the good grace of the God of the universe. You're not rescued because of you. You're actually rescued in spite of you. It is the good news of the gospel that saves us. By grace, you have been saved. Verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a really good part. So that in the coming ages, AKA heaven, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Did you catch it? The Bible just said, that in the coming ages, when we get to heaven, that what God is going to do is he is going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. It can't be measured. It just keeps getting better. It is overflowing. Here's the idea. Heaven is not static. Heaven is dynamic. It is not like you get to heaven and that's as good as it gets. It, you get to heaven and that's as good as you've ever experienced. And it just keeps getting better from there. Every day is better than the next day. Every day there is more good and there's more love and there's more compassion and there's more understanding and there's more acceptance and there's more beauty and there's more for you to experience and there's more for you to know. And I don't know if you know this, but humans like more. More is better, right? 
And the beauty of heaven is that there is always more, so much more. Do not have this understanding of like, we're gonna get there and then I'm just gonna kind of hang out and oh. That's not heaven. It's like, whoa, this is mind blowing. And then the next day is even more mind blowing. And then the next day is even more mind blowing and you never grow numb to it the immeasurable riches of his grace. It is going to flow unending forever and ever. It is a place of paradise that gets better and better. It multiplies and adds and never subtracts. Heaven is dynamic. It is not static. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Never a sermon without a C.S. Lewis quote. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, there's something in heaven that is really important. So there's something called the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is something that only unbelievers will experience. But then there is this other thing that is called the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And it's where you and I will be judged for what we did on earth and we will get rewards in heaven for it. You see, you are saved by grace, but you are rewarded for what you do for people. You are saved by grace alone. Grace alone punches your ticket to heaven, but what you and I do determines what heaven will be like for us. I think it's important today to expand your ethic of heaven, to know that yes, it's perfection, and yes, it's gonna be so good, but it can be even better. There's this judgment seat of Christ where he is going to reward you and I for the things that we have done here on earth. He's gonna reward us for like how we love the least and the lost. He's gonna reward us for the ways that we endured suffering. He is going to reward us for how faithful we were to keep his commands. He is going to reward us for how generous we were, for what we did with what we'd been given. He is going to reward us for the people that we brought to Christ. There's actually a crown. There are seven crowns that are talked about throughout the Bible. And there are the rewards of the saints where you do this certain activity and you get a crown in heaven for it. And there's actually a crown, a crown, a beautiful crown for those who bring people to Christ, for those who are great evangelists, for those who rescue lost people, for those who cannot tolerate somebody not hearing the good news of the gospel, for those who are always inviting their friends, always sharing the gospel, always putting Jesus Jesus on display. There's a reward for it. Like I want for you to know because everything that you lay down today, everything that you lay down in your life in service to Christ is going to be repaid back to you tenfold at the resurrection of the just. That I promise you that heaven is worth dying for. Heaven is also worth living for. Heaven is worth living for. There are things to be gained. There are rewards to be had. If nobody's ever told you that, if nobody's ever told you that like your hard work, that your effort, that you're fighting temptation, that you're not giving into the schemes of the enemy, that you putting Jesus on display, that you giving faithfully, that you being a sacrificial servant, that you serving in the nursery, hello, that that gets you rewards in heaven. I'm here to tell you today that it does. That, that nothing you can do can get you to heaven, but there's a whole lot that you can do that can make heaven that much sweeter. There is this judgment seat of Christ that is coming for each and every one of us. You know, Rick Warren, I love what he says. He says, the way you store up treasures in heaven is by investing in getting people there. The way you store up treasures in heaven is by investing in helping to get people there. Matthew 5, 12 says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven but let me tell you what heaven is going to be like. I wanna give you a picture, an aesthetic, a physical 
image of what it's going to be like when we breathe our last breath here and what it's going to be like when we cross over into the shores of eternity. Revelation chapter 22 verse 1 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city also. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. You see what most people called heaven, the Bible refers to as a city called the new Jerusalem. And this world that we live in will be destroyed and God will build a new world. And we will go there and we will be with him physically. When we die, the Bible is, uh, isn't perfectly clear on exactly how this happens or the timeline of when it happens. But we know that when we die, our soul or our spirit is split up apart from our body and we go to heaven. And what God gives us is he gives us a new body where we live in a physical experience. You're not just going to be a floating, hovering spirit. You're going to be a walking, talking, physical embodiment of yourself. Now, what that body's gonna be like, six pack. That's all I know, okay? I know that you're gonna have a six pack and I know you're not gonna have any gray hair and I know wrinkles are gone. But other than that, I don't know, okay? I know that you get a body and that it is a new body and that it is a perfect body and that you dwell physically. You have a physical experience where your senses are engaged, your mind is engaged and your eyes are engaged and your nose is engaged and your, every part of your body is, is engaged in heaven, experiencing heaven. Now, I know you, there, there are just some popular questions about it, some popular questions about it, right? Like the first one that I always get is, Joey, do all dogs go to heaven? And the answer is yes, and all cats go directly to hell. Okay, Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 11, verse six says it like this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. You know, there will be animals in heaven. There will be so many animals in heaven, but the beautiful part about these animals that are going to be in heaven is that we are going to get to play with them. Like we're gonna get to play with lions and leopards. And I don't know about you, but I'm trying to ride a cheetah. You know what I'm talking about? Then maybe like a seahorse dance with an octopus. Like, come on. Like we're going to get to interact with these animals in heaven. Now, will your dog be in heaven? I don't know, maybe, who knows? If he's not, you won't care, okay? But there will be animals in heaven. There are actually animals that are in heaven that are specifically designed, crazy, wild, mind-blowing animals that were designed for heaven for one purpose, and it's to worship the living God. We're actually gonna talk about some of these animals next week. They're gonna scare you and give you nightmares, so come back for that, okay? Um, there are gonna be these animals that were just made for heaven that are going to blow your mind. There are some other questions, like will we miss our old life? When I get to heaven, am I... And I cross and there's streets of gold and all of that stuff. Like, am I gonna miss my old life? Um, have you ever been um, flying and because you were flying a lot, um, 
or, or maybe there was just not a lot of people on the plane, you would booked an economy ticket because you don't want to like upgrade to first class. You want to give that money to the church. So you booked economy and, um, but the Lord was just good to you because of your faithful service to the kingdom of God. And so um, somebody was like, hey brother, um, you get upgraded to first class today. And you're like, well, fine and dandy, praise the Lord. And uh, so you get upgraded to first class and you're sitting there in the big comfy seats and you're like, your head is getting massaged and they're not bringing you peanuts, they're bringing you alcohol, praise the Lord. And, you know, just all these amazing things are happening to you. And you've got this big screen TV and you're just like living the dream. Let me ask you, while you're living the dream of first class, are you wondering what those chumps in economy are doing? Are you like, hey, I wonder what it's like back there to have no leg room. You know, I really miss just that toddler crying nonstop. No, you don't miss economy when you get upgraded to first class and when you and I get upgraded from earth to heaven we're not going to miss way back here we're going to be so focused so overwhelmed so enamored by what we've gone to that we will not care about what we've left behind you're not going to miss your old life now I know you're probably wondering this when I get to heaven will I know everything only if you're a woman okay only if you are a woman no, um, the truth is, sorry, ladies, only God is omniscient, okay? So you will not know everything, but you will know more than you know now. The Bible says that you will know as you're fully known. And so the idea is that you're going to know more than you could imagine. Like the way that God knows you, that's the way that you're going to know things. You're gonna know the intricacies of the human experience. All of the why questions bring them bring them because they're going to get answered. I'm going to be there too with my bag of why questions. Why God? Why did it go this way? And why did it happen? And why are they there? And why couldn't of it worked out like this? And where were you then? You just bring your big bag of why questions and you're going to know the answers to them. But no, you're, you're not going to know everything. You're probably wondering, like, will we recognize one another? Will we recognize one another? Will I get to recognize my wife and my friends and my kids? Guys, Heaven's not the matrix, okay? There's not like a, a memory wipe, like nothing in the Bible indicates that. Of course, we're gonna recognize one another. But you know the even more beautiful thing is that we're not gonna pass over one another, that you're never gonna forget somebody's name. You're never gonna fail to see somebody's face in the crowd. You're never going to forget to acknowledge somebody's birthday. You're never going to forget somebody's favorite color or their favorite food. You're never going to forget to call or forget to text or forget to show up. So yes, we will recognize one another, but even more than that, we will finally love one another and dwell in beautiful community and the color of our skin or who we voted for won't separate us because that won't matter. The only thing that will be matter is what brought us together and that's the name of Jesus. That's the beauty of heaven is that the things on this earth that drive us apart won't matter anymore. And the one thing that has joined us together will. Heaven's going to be an absolutely spectacular, beautiful, mind-blowing place. It is going to be full of natural wonders and animals and trees and rivers. There are going to be cities in heaven, the Bible tells us. There are going to be houses and architecture. We will laugh and we will eat and we will drink and we will tell stories. We will make crafts 
And we will build, we will garden, we will care for animals, we will play, we will enjoy sports and physically demanding activities. We will tend and manage and rule the earth. We will collaborate and research and invent. We will read books and write them. We will create and perform dramas and plays. We will compose music and perform it. We will fulfill the original plan of God's design of humans stewarding the material universe for his glory. What a beautiful picture that it's not sitting on a cloud, that it's not getting wings, that it's life as life was meant to be. I want to show you the real beauty of heaven. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says it like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You know, heaven is better today because heaven is making all things new. Don't you know that we love some new stuff in the human experience? Anybody love a new car, a new house? some new shoes, a new trip, a new friend we love, new. In heaven, everything is new. Nothing is old. Nothing is worn out. God makes everything new in heaven. We get new bodies with no more insecurity. Have you ever thought about everything in life that you miss out on because you're insecure with what you've got? Well, in heaven, you get this new body and this new experience with no insecurity, completely secure, perfectly created. No more fear of failure or fear of judgment. There's no more fear of what others think. In heaven, those fears are gone. In heaven, it's all gone because perfect love casts out fear. But it's not just new. Heaven is be- not just better because the scripture tells us that it's new, but heaven is better because heaven is new and God is near. God is near. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like God wasn't near? Where you wondered where he was or if he'd forgotten about you or if maybe he just got busy? Where you thought that he'd paid attention to everybody else and cared for everyone else's situation, but just somehow you fell through the cracks. I want for you to know you'll never feel that when you cross over to the other side. Not only will you know that he's near in theory, you will see that he is near personally. You know, it says that he is so near that heaven is loud. I love that heaven is loud. Revelation 21 verse three, and I heard in a loud voice. So loud because he's so near. You know, a lot of people say that like the music at Elevate City is really loud. We're just trying to get you ready for heaven, okay? We're just trying to get you ready for heaven because heaven is loud because God is near in your face, right there, anything that you need. Heaven is new and heaven is near. But in heaven, you will also need for nothing. 
In heaven, you will need for nothing. Revelation 21, 6 says it like this. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. There is not one thing that could be added to you in heaven. Like, let me ask you, is there anything that can make your day better today? Anything? So if I give you a million dollars right now, you wouldn't be pumped? I wouldn't make your day better? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hand. They're like, no, this is awesome. I just wanted to hear about heaven and hell. I could have left after hell. My day would have been perfect. <laughs> no, we always know that there are things that we could get that would make our day better. Well, when you get to heaven, nothing can make your day better. Nothing can make your day better. It's, it's like, like if you're talking to someone and you're like, hey, bro, I hope you have a nice day. You think to yourself, you must be new here. Every day is nice here, sir. There is nothing that you will need in heaven. There is no need, no desire that is left unfulfilled. Heaven is beautiful. Heaven is better because heaven makes all things new. Heaven puts God near because in heaven we need for nothing. We need for nothing. Did you know that there are currently, it's gonna blow your mind, 16,232 known people groups on the planet. There are 16,232 known people groups on the planet. And the Bible tells us that there is going to be one person from every single one of them in heaven, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people in heaven. Do you know what that means? There are about to be some good food in heaven. About to be some Brazilian food. There are about to be some Mexican food. About to be some African food. About to be some Irish food, some Chinese food. There's gonna be every kind of food that you could imagine in heaven. You, you know what else it means? It means there's gonna be some good music in heaven, some culturally diverse music in heaven. I hate to break it to you. It's not just gonna be white Chris Tomlin with an acoustic guitar. That's not what's happening. There's gonna be music from every culture. You're gonna be mind blown at the way that finally for the first time God's creation worships God with all of their artistic beauty and flair. There's gonna be this unbelievable expression of culture through food and through music. You know, it talks about the great banquet where there's this great banquet. Any of y'all ever seen the movie Hook with Robin Williams? Hook with Robin Williams? Okay, if not, that's your assignment go home, watch that movie, okay? Um, and they're, it's about Peter Pan and they're in Never Never Land and there's this table of all these colors. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those of you who've seen Hook, all these different foods and they're just like yelling bangerang. That's what I think heaven's gonna be like. Just bangerang, this is amazing. There's no way to describe other than to make up a word, bangerang. So good, so diverse, so delicious, so beautiful. It's good for the taste buds, good for the ears, good for the eyes. Heaven is better also because of what's not there. Heaven is better than earth, better than you can imagine, more beautiful than you could comprehend because of what's not there. You know that there's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There is no more death. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8 says it like this. He swallows up death forever. So that means that there's no more funeral homes and there's no more hearses. There's no more caskets. There's no more tombstones. There's no more cancer diagnosis. There's no more miscarriages. There's no little ones gone too soon. There's no more locks on doors. There's no militaries. There's no more wars to fight. 
There's no more sickness. There's no more disease. There's no more suffering. There's no more anxiety. There's no more strife. There's no more pain. There's no more mosquito bites. There's no more bad days. There's no more sunburns. There's no more frustration. There's no more not having enough money to make ends meet. There's no more depression. There's no more insecurity. There's no more need to be right. There's no more fighting. There's no more. There's no more presidential elections or abortions. There's no more ISIS or racism or sexual confusion. There's no more traffic, praise God. There's no more anger or rage. There's no more ambulances or police chases. No more mortgage payments. There's no more inflation or family feuds. No more arguing or lying or alarm system. No more taxes. No more drowning. No more snake bites or dog bites or jellyfish bites. No more mosquitoes. No more anxiety, no more pornography, no more mask or vax. Maybe even better, no more mask or vax debate. Hello. There's no more. It's been swallowed up. You know, there's no more tears. There have been a lot of tears that have been shed in this world. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but God captures every single one of your tears and he places it in a jar that's got your name on it. Psalm chapter 56 verse 8 says it. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. God captures every one of your tears in a bottle with your name on it. He doesn't assign it to some angel assistant. He does it himself. When you cry, God in his grace, grace, God in his sovereignty takes his invisible hand, reaches out with his nail scarred hand and he wipes every tear from your eye and he puts it into a jar. But when you get to heaven, he closes the lid on that jar because you won't cry another tear. There are no more tears. There's no more crying by yourself at night because you're alone. There's no more crying because nobody understands. There's no more crying for what you've lost. Tears are no more. Because of that, heaven is better. There's so many things that are not going to be in heaven, but I came here today to make sure that you are. Because I don't want this to just all be theology or theory. I want for it to be practicality, that these places are real, that hell is real, and that heaven is real, and that it is available to you today. And I want you to know You know, so many people feel like they don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it in the end. I don't know if I've been good enough. I don't know. I want for today for you to know. I know that you feel like you don't know. I know you're pretty sure that you know some other people aren't going to be there. Hello. But I want for you to know that you can be. It's the reason that 1 John was written. It says it like this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you so that you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Life, do you know today? Do you know? 
when this life is over, when you get to the end of the line, when you breathe your last breath, which could be today. See, all of us think that we're getting 80 years. None of us think that we're getting the call tomorrow. And none of us think that our friends or that our family or that our neighbors are either. We always think that there's gonna be more time. But do you know that if the clock strikes zero on your life, where you're going to be in the next life? I want for you to know, I want for you to know. I wanna know that I'm gonna see you there. I wanna know that you're gonna be set free from all your sin. I wanna know that you're gonna stand next to me and worship the name that is above every name. Romans chapter 10 verse nine says it like this. I don't care who you are or where you're from or what your background or history or story has been. I don't care what sins you've committed. I don't care what wrongs you've done. I don't care where you were last night. I don't care what skeletons you got in your closet, what lies you've told, how far you've gone. I don't care about any of that today. I care about an intersection of grace and truth. And the truth is that you're more sinful than you could ever possibly imagine. The grace is that you're more loved than you could ever dare to dream. And Romans chapter 10 verse nine says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And saved means that you have punched your ticket to eternity with God, that you are saved from the wrath of hell and that you are saved to the beauty of heaven forever. Jesus died for you and for me and he died to get us back home into his family. Do you know why heaven is ultimately better? Heaven isn't ultimately better because it's new or because you're not going to need things or because there's not going to be things there that are so hurtful here. Heaven is ultimately better because heaven is where Jesus is. Jesus is the prize of heaven. Jesus is the treasure of heaven. Have you ever been in an amusement park before? Maybe Six Flags or maybe Disney World and there was a really long line to ride some roller coaster and you were standing outside and, this, and you were sweating and you're getting bit by bugs and you didn't even know if it was worth it to wait in the line. And you were terrified the whole time thinking, man, I'm just gonna wait in this line and then get to the end. And this teenage operator is probably gonna kill me anyways. And is it even worth it? And then you, you get there and you ride the ride and it's exhilarating and it's thrilling and it blows your mind. You're like, it's absolutely worth it. I want for you to know that when you get to the end of this life and you see Jesus waiting there in the end, you're gonna know that it was worth it. When you see your savior face to face in his eyes, look into your eyes, you're gonna go, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. When you see his name that is above every name, you're gonna wonder why you lived for anything else. When you see his worth, you're gonna wish that you gave more, that you served more, that you loved more. When you see his beauty and his greatness, it's all gonna make sense in an instant. When you get to heaven, you're gonna know that it's worth it because the God who loves you, created you, bled and died for you is waiting with arms open wide. C.S. Lewis, in the culmination of the Chronicles of Narnia series attempts to express the absolute joy that will come as our earthly lives come to an end and as we are reunited with God in eternity. And so closing out his popular series, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe writes to Peter and to Lucy and to the young kids about their experience. And he says this, 
the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover page and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's what heaven's going to be like for you and me. And I want for you to know that you can go there today. You know, I just got back from a trip and if you've ever traveled in the Atlanta airport, you get off the terminal and there's this great escalator. And there are two different kinds of people who are that escalator. It's people who are maybe business people who for them it's just another arrival and they're in a rush and they're in a hurry and they're on their phone and they're just moving through life on to the next thing. But then there's a different group of people the kind of people who've been away from their family, maybe serving in military or on a trip, or, and they know that when they get to the top of that escalator that there are gonna be people with signs and flowers and there's gonna be tears and there's gonna be an embrace. And it's a really beautiful place to be, to watch and to observe. And I just wonder today, what kind of person are you? Are you just going through life so busy and so unfocused that today this church service has just been just another arrival? Or today is something shifting in you and something changing in you where you say, I wanna live my life with an expectation that when I get to the great escalator, that when I get to the next level, that when I pass through this life and get to the next one, that my savior is there with arms open wide. If that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed today, I wanna to give you an opportunity to make the most important decision that you will ever make. This is not a ghost story, this is the real story. There's a God who loves you, who's been seeking after you, who's been chasing you down and who you were created to worship all the days of your life. And if you don't know Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to put your hope and your trust in him today. I invite you to pray this prayer after me. This is punching your ticket because of what Jesus did for you on Calvary. Pray this, say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I know I can't do life without you. I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. And I know how desperately I need your grace today. I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. If you pray that prayer, the Bible tells us that the spirit of God comes to live in you, making you a new creation, that the old is gone and that the new has come and that you are in the family of God, that you've got security for where you're gonna be on the other side of eternity, that you can know, that you know, that you know where you're gonna be in the end. And I just wanna mark that moment to celebrate with you today that God has made you alive, that he has transferred you from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. 
And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time today with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna celebrate and so does all of heaven with you that you are in the family of God today. And so I'm gonna count to three and you raise your hand up in the air, boldly declaring that you've crowned Jesus King and that you wanna live with him forever. One, two, three. Come on, praise God. Praise God. Can we celebrate that there are people who are meeting Jesus in this room and online for the very first time? Jesus, you are the name that is above every name. You are who all of this is for and what all of this is about. God, let us be people who invest our lives in getting people to heaven. Let us be people who focus our eyes on the greatness of what you've gone to prepare for us. And let us be people who bring heaven to earth by lifting up the one name that is above every name right now, here and today. We pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.